one. Good morning, and welcome to episode 26 of the Sounds of Stonebridge podcast. I'm your host, Neil Schwartz. Today is May the 6th, and uh, we just found out that today was National Nurses Appreciation Day, and our guest today, who uh, Gene will be introducing in a bit, um, will it's very apropos um, that you know we were able to uh, have her on on this particular day, but I want to first introduce our co-host, Jean. Jean Franklin, how are you doing today? Good morning. Doing great. Did my water aerobics this morning. I wasn't up as early as Donnie, but it was 6.30 or so. So, <laughs> Donnie, how early do you really get up? I, I get up at 6. I wake up but well before that, and I do stuff. Do you just walk around the house? Like, I walk no, around the house no, for I don't a while. get I don't get out of bed. I, until I cook the coffee at six o'clock, but I'm up. So if anybody wants to call me between 4.30 and six, it's fine. That's good to know. Um, yeah. Although I'm not usually up at uh, six o'clock. I, uh, I usually, uh, I'm not, let's just say the, the best of early risers. Although as Gene and I can attest to, we get on a lot of planes. I take a lot of those 7 a.m. flights um, so I can get a full day wherever I'm going. Yep. So I do get up early. Yeah, but I also go to bed at three in the afternoon. So, you know. <laughs> so, at, you, so you're a, a veteran of the early, early bird. Early, my whole life, it's been early. So, uh, you know, yesterday I mentioned a couple of shows that I was watching. I've been watching on television, and actually, some really, some really good stuff. But there's also a really good app. It's called River R I V R. It's available on the Apple um, App Store. I think it's also available on the Google Play Store. But it tells you what's on or what's coming up on all of the different channels that are available. There's just so much programming out there that it's really hard to keep track. Um, River has been great because it gives me a little bit of a trailer, tells me when it's going to start, what it's about. Um, in fact, I was informed about something that was on Netflix called Hollywood. Um, I don't That's know if great. Anybody... I'm watching that, Neil. Okay. That's great. I just great watched show. the first episode last night and I loved it. Yep. Um, hi, Kat. Where's Donnie's cat? cat? Donnie's got a cat, yeah. Okay, so um, I'd like, what I'd like to do talk to move to our guest now, I'd like to get, turn the show over to Jean Frankel. So Jeannie, why don't you uh, introduce our guest and get the conversation going? Okay, I would like to introduce you to Bryn Harlock. Bryn and I are longtime friends, school time friends. I think since we were in the seventh grade, Bryn, right? We grew up together. <laughs> and um, I thought y'all would be interested in hearing from Bryn today because she is doing some very important work right now related to the COVID crisis. She is an addiction counselor and she is working right now with frontline healthcare workers. And so I'm gonna let Bryn say a little bit about herself and then we'll get into a conversation. Good morning, everybody. Um, just to give you a quick feel of my background, I'm a master's level clinician, a licensed professional therapist, certified addiction specialist, and I also teach DUI. Uh, prior to, and I work, and I specialize in working with healthcare workers as well as first responders. But my background includes working, you know, across all levels of care and across all populations. Prior to that, I had my own executive search and coaching business where I worked with Fortune 500 companies and helped identify executives for them, worked on succession planning, helped individuals as well personally with their own career aspirations. And then prior to that, I come out of uh, large corporate environments, uh, KPMG, as well as Deutsche Bank, 
and then a very high-end consulting firm. So that gives you a little bit of feel of, of who I am. So Bryn, you've always really been about working with people, haven't you? That's a real thread if you think about it. And so the people that you're working with now are especially important to, uh, to what's going on in the country and the world. And, and they're probably also especially stressed in terms of what's going on. Tell us a little bit about that work. Yeah, it's, it's actually very interesting because I focus on working with uh, impaired nurses and um, as well as other healthcare professionals. And prior to the COVID crisis, this was a circumstance where we were looking at individuals that were receiving a lot of secondary trauma because of the work that they were doing a lot. I'm, I'm just outside of the Philadelphia area. A lot of them work in large metropolitan hospitals or have experience with working in emergency rooms or acute care where they're confronting death on a regular basis. With the COVID crisis, as you can well imagine, that has exponentially shot up. And so what they're exposed to on a daily basis in terms of working with individuals who are in crisis and then helping them through that crisis either to health and safety and or, quite frankly, and, and at least with COVID at this stage of the game, many to death. And, and it is very difficult for them just to see that with their own, um, you know, in, in their own lives. Neil's got a question. Yeah, Bryn, you know, I've read in places that doctors and healthcare professionals seem to suffer with alcoholism, drug addiction, and things uh, more than, let's say, the national average. Is that a fact, or is that maybe just, uh, you know, a, a misuse of, of statistics? Well, I, I can speak from an uh, anecdotal perspective. We know right now that across the country, about 9% of the population is, is addicted. Um, and that's those people that, you know, acknowledge their addiction are either seeking treatment or going to 12-step programs or through what other, whatever um, means we're aware of their addiction. As you can well imagine, there's a very fine line between addiction and abuse. As we look at any population where they're exposed to extreme levels of stress, of course their levels of addiction is going to be much higher. What, um, what becomes interesting as a clinician is that it's also buried much deeper. So you don't see it as much, at least on the surface, because they're able to operate on what I would call autopilot in terms of what they do professionally, but it's when they go home and then they try to um, um, find some kind of relief that you can really see that that addiction is, is really taking hold. Bren, um, how is this related perhaps to PTSD? Is there any relation to what you see and perhaps a war zone type uh, depression? Absolutely. Absolutely. We saw that before COVID and we're seeing it even, you know, extremely higher levels at this stage of the game. And especially when you look at individuals who have dedicated their whole lives, regardless of what... Um, individual you're talking about within the healthcare profession, they have dedicated their whole lives to helping other people, to doing the right thing, to trying to save lives. And here, right before their eyes, they're feeling helpless in terms of what they can do to really aid. And the simplest thing in terms of trying to connect people with 
family members vis-a-vis Zoom or the telephone or whatever so that there's some kind of connection is, you know, one of the things that they really prize in terms of what they're doing as well as any of the medical menstruations that they're doing on behalf of their clients. Bryn, um, are you actually going into the hospitals and working with it? Where is your work going on? Are you teleworking with them or how's that going? So I... I work for an organization that uh, I work for Living Grin. It's here in Pennsylvania. It is, it is, um, has multiple uh, outpatient sites. Uh, I work in one of their outpatient sites. The nurses that I work with are going into hospitals. They're going into nursing homes. They're going into jails and prisons, but I myself am not working with them, you know, on their sites, but rather vis-a-vis virtual and or a teletherapy. Mm-hmm. Are you anywhere near Ambler, Pennsylvania? Uh, right next door. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I thought, because that's where a lot of the medical and nursing uh, publications come out of. Yeah. My exactly. kids were actually born in Ambler, actually in Dresher, yeah. which is right next to Ambler. Yeah. So I used to live My there. My in-laws are from Dresher. Mm-hmm. Brent, I have a question. Um, I was married actually to a nurse in an RRT and I used to find that sometimes when she had an incredibly charged day, um, you know, whether she had to stick her hand in somebody's to help, you know, help with, um, you know, maybe inner inter heart massage or <clears throat> one time she rode in a helicopter to keep a guy alive. And, you know, she came home and she was really pumped up. I mean, her adrenaline was teeming through her body, obviously, um, and whatever hormones that, you know, create this and all that. But a couple hours later, she hit the wall hard and she actually went into this almost what I would call short term like depression. She became very blue, very dark. And, and in fact, wouldn't even talk to me for about an hour or so. Are we going to expect that sort of a reaction from the healthcare workers once this starts to wind down a little bit? Well, I'm, I'm convinced that they're all going to be suffering from some level of PTSD, uh, especially those who are dealing with, with, with COVID patients. One of the things you have to bear in mind is, you know, uh, physicians and, and nurses and healthcare professionals work across a broad spectrum of the healthcare field. And so not everybody is working in COVID. You've got nurses who are actually not working because they're elective surgery and they may or may not even qualify to be able to work in acute care settings. So you've got individuals who are feeling this strong desire to want to be able to help but are not permitted to and or are furloughed, and then you've got people that are on the front lines. One of the things that um, when we were talking about this the other day that I thought about that we should really mention is that they themselves are also getting sick. It's not just that they're experiencing PTSD through, through the lives of other people, but within their own, among their own ranks. And so they're seeing their peers fall to COVID and getting extremely sick. They know that they've got to make life and death decisions, not only on behalf of their patients, but on behalf of their family, because they know themselves that they're putting themselves at risk and they have to make determinations as, do I go home? To what extent do I expose my young child, my, you know, elderly parents, anybody that they may be living with? 
So they've got this choice between do I get to work and get paid or do I not get to work? You know, how safe is my environment? And it varies across different settings. And then what am I experiencing and that I'm taking home in terms of my own personal trauma back home where, you know, imagine yourselves if you're sitting home and you're at your computer all day and your kids are, let's say, the circumstances reversed. Let's say you're the spouse that, you know, had often been going off to work. You had two working um, people. And now you're home because the kids are home. Somebody has to stay home and help them with their schoolwork and get through their daily classes. Now the healthcare professional comes home, had an extremely beyond what you can even imagine stressful day. And, you know, the first thing they want to do is just sit down and decompress. And the first thing the spouse wants to do is turn over the kids or talk Mm -hmm. about what happened to them. And it's like this big disconnect between where people are in terms of just their own mental health and how they're viewing and interpreting and internalizing uh, this experience that we're all living through today in such varied levels and very disparate levels as well. And Bryn, one of the things you told me the other day when, when we said, you know, what, is it, what does it feel like for them when, again, New York at 7 p.m. every night, there are people cheering the healthcare workers and cheering, and, and you said they feel a little guilty. Tell me about that. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I talked to that. I, so I run both groups and individual sessions. And um, when I speak to them, whether it's on an individual basis or whether it's in a group setting, there are a couple of themes that, that come through. And, and first and foremost, no matter um, you know, how individuals might be viewing this from the healthcare perspective, they're viewing this as science. So they know what they're confronting from a scientific standpoint because they've seen other health issues that they've had to deal with and how that plays out over time. So, you know, that's one thing that they're, you know, that they're looking at. The other thing is, is they see so many other people that they consider frontline workers, whether it's the clerk at the grocery store, whether it's the janitor within their own facility, whether it's the person that's, you know, helping them with their car because, you know, they they need to transport back and forth. There's so many other people that are considered essential personnel that we need and, and that we rely on. And when they hear the cheering for themselves, they appreciate it, but they also don't see themselves as heroes. They, they, they recognize that this is so much bigger and they worry about those people. They feel guilty about those people because some of my professionals are at least getting a level of combat pay or extra pay, whereas your average, you know, um, clerical worker it may or may not be doing that. Wow. And, you know, so they just, they're, once again, their experience is just so very different. And, and, and nurses, as they are a part of a healthcare team, it sounds to me like they're feeling like they're a team of trying to keep us all, you know, healthy and fed and, and alive throughout this crisis. Yeah. They they are part part of a team and and you know one of the things that we you know that we talked about was the fact that they are being exposed to their colleagues 
who are also getting sick. But what that then means to them and their own personal trauma is now what do you do? Do you step forward and take on additional overtime? Is that something that's a request? Is that something that's a mandate? Is that something within your own realm of responsibility where you're looking at what others are doing and saying, I need to also be able to step up to the plate. By the same token, I need to take care of my own family. I need to take care of myself. So these professionals are being brought to the breaking point and I think the most important thing that we can remember as, as people who support them is that we don't want them to get to the breaking point. Because once they break, then they're out of the workforce, and then we've got a different issue. Rain, I want to thank you for coming on the Sounds of Stonebridge today. Um, you know, clearly nurses um, are, are going to, you know, really going to need your help, and, and doctors and, and all types of clinicians are going to need your help after this. Um, you know, I think that, you know, as Don mentioned, you know, there's going to be some form of PTSD. There's going to be a number of things. So, um, again, Bryn, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I think um, hopefully, you know, people become a little bit more sensitive to what's going to happen afterwards, especially um, with these healthcare professionals who have been on the front lines. So, you were Bryn, great, Miss Harlock. You were great. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's been a delight being here. I've enjoyed seeing you all. And I hope to see you in person as soon as they lift those orders and I can come on down. Yeah. Oh I want to go up to see my grandchildren, frankly. I miss them horribly. Hey, Donnie, I want to switch gears a little tiny bit. Uh, last night I was watching uh, episodes five and six of the Michael Jordan um, documentary, The Last I wasn't Dance. In, I wasn't in those, so I don't I know that. Three and four, but that's I know. You know. The one thing that struck me, and I made a note last night that I wanted to ask you about this, is that the press seems like they are so intrusive and so, um, like, I don't know if the word is overengaged or just overwhelming. And I actually found myself feeling sorry for Michael Jordan at times uh, during, especially episode six, when the press kept hounding him. You know, has to do the, does the press go too far sometimes? Absolutely. And there are guys that we were standing there and they're asking certain questions. And those of us who would never ask those questions because they thought they were either stupid or, as you said, too intrusive, uh, just shake our heads and say, geez. And, and sometimes the athlete gets so angry, he walks out and the rest of us are sitting there without a story. So, yeah, absolutely. Look. They are human beings, the, the uh, media, and they have a job to do. They've got to get the answers. And uh, we have changed a bit since the 50s and maybe even 60s where the story, sometimes the, the media would protect the players, and now the story is get some dirt on them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I really found it was uh, kind of an intrusive process and all that, but I have been enjoying watching the documentary. Um, but But as... But as Miss Harlock would Harlock would say, uh, if you can't stand the heat, then you ought to go into the bedroom and go to sleep. <laughs> no, it's funny. Sleep is one of the best uh, medicines for, um, I, you know, mental health and getting the right amount of sleep. And right now, I'm sure there are a lot of sleep deprived, a lot of sleep deprived medical professionals right now. As is exercise. My yeah. What? What? Don, I'm sorry. 
No, I said, that's my excuse, and I'm Your sticking excuse. to it. I never got any sleep when I was working. <laughs> exercise is important, too, and Brent, I bet those professionals don't get a lot of exercise. They're working well, hard shifts, and they're exhausted, right? I think that's what puts the added strain is all of the other, you know, areas that they were able to uh, decompress with have have been in many ways stripped from them. That's why meditation is so important. One of the other things that we talk about, if anybody wants to really try to help a healthcare professional, is to be so aware of boundaries and that they may or may not be ready to talk about this when either when they come home, you know, the curiosity of, you know, finding out that somebody's a nurse or a doctor or something and you want to ask what it was like. Well, just think about the veterans, you know, are they prepared to respond to that? Maybe or maybe not. We just have to be very respectful of the experience that they're having. It really is like a war, isn't it? It is very much so. Um, okay, so great, Bryn. Thanks a lot for coming on. Um, don't forget, of course, about Stonebridge to go at 561-886-6708. Last night, they did a special menu to pay tribute to uh, Cinco de Mayo. And uh, so they had tacos and all that. So it was great. <laughs> Excuse me. John and his group have done a great job, um, really have, in, in providing for us here at Stonebridge during this crisis. I Hopefully, they're going to start to you know, relax some of the uh, stay-at-home standards. Um, but, you know, I don't want them to do it too soon. I want to make sure that they do it at the right time. I heard um, that in uh, honor of Nurses Appreciation Day that every meal will come with a stethoscope. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking a tongue depressor, Donnie. Oh, well, no, that would be, that would be the cheap way out, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, you can listen to the sounds of Stonebridge on the Stonebridge Facebook forum. Uh, you know, just click on the episode. It'll start to play. Um, if you're a Spotify subscriber, you can access it. Unfortunately, Apple let me down and never really responded to my request to get um, Sounds of Stonebridge on Apple. Um, tomorrow, um, we have Eric Len um, Hornstein's associate calling from Shanghai, China. He's going to kind of update us. Um, you know, China has lifted their uh, stay-at-home ban. Um, so I'm really curious to hear you know, now that they're two weeks into that, you know, are consumers, are people starting to come out more? Are people going into restaurants? Are they going into shops? Because, um, you know, from what I can see, you know, as someone that does consumer research, right now, consumers are not that anxious to get out there. They want to know that they're going to be safe and they want to know that they're, they're, you know, that their chances of, of catching, you know, COVID-19 or carrying it are um, definitely going to be minimized. Don't forget about Financial Friday. Uh, Ken Nemery's going to be on to answer your financial questions. Um, he has some really interesting topics that he's going to bring up um, on Friday. So, again, I want to thank everybody. Donnie, thanks. Uh, have a great day. Always a pleasure. Bryn, thank you for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And instead, I'll go to Jean Lat. Jean, what do you got planned for today? Anything good? I got planned some work calls and some exercise and uh, maybe a drive in my car just around the block so that it remembers me. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, pretty much my uh, plan also. Uh, a lot of work today and take advantage of, um, you know, using Zoom a lot. Hey, thanks everybody and uh, have a great day.